Well, welcome everybody. We are glad to be together to worship. We are glad that you are here with us. We're glad to have those folks who are with us online, and we are looking forward to the day when we can all be back together in person. We are studying the book of 1 Corinthians, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. Nate read for us beautifully 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that's going to be the main text we look at. Uh, so go ahead and, and be ready to study with me in that passage. I've heard 1 Corinthians 13 used in a lot of different contexts. The one, honestly, uh, that I've heard it the most, though, has to do with marriages. I, I've been asked to perform lots of marriages in my life, in my capacity as a minister, and I get requests for this passage all the time. It's actually not a terrible passage to read at a marriage. Uh, and, and it tells us about what love is like, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, but you have to understand, when Paul's writing this beautiful, just prose poem about the capacity to give charity, to give generously, to love in that sense of taking what is mine and blessing someone else, that's the meaning of agape love. When he's writing that, he's not writing about romantic love. He's not writing about marriage love. He's not writing about Valentine's Day and puppies. He's, he's writing about how to make the church strong. And in particular, he's writing about the gifts that God gives to the church and, and, and the motive behind how those gifts can be used. We read chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, and we see Paul addressing the spiritual gifts. Some of them at that time were true, what we would call miraculous, shocking, surprising gifts outside the norm of what people expect. Some of them were more normal gifts, the kinds of gifts that still go on today, we think. But some of them were, were truly remarkable, and, and the people at Corinth were sort of competitive with each other. And it becomes clear that they were sort of viewing the gifts as a way to boost their own status or their own glory or their own power. And Paul says, I want to talk to you about what gifts actually mean. If you read chapters 12, 13, and 14 in that way, you'll understand where Paul is coming from and what he ends up saying. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, the last verse of chapter 12, and then I'll read the first three verses of chapter 13. Paul has appointed to the church, I'm sorry, verses 28 through 31, Paul has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you 
a more excellent way. And then Paul launches into what we call chapter 13, the story of love, his picture of love. Now, what's interesting about that is Paul says these gifts of the Spirit, they're not really about you. They are appointed by God. And they are appointed by God for the church. We are never going to have our heads wrapped around the gifts that God gives, whether we're talking about the miraculous gifts or non-miraculous gifts. I, I'm one of those who believes non-miraculous gifts of God will go on until Jesus comes back. But we'll never understand how those gifts work if we don't understand this simple fact. It's God who gives those gifts. And he gives them by means of individuals to the church. The gifts of the Spirit, whether miraculous or non-miraculous, are all appointed by God. That's what the gifts are. Now, here in 1 Corinthians, there were a lot of really dramatic gifts. And apparently, for whatever reason, they were very focused on speaking in tongues. If you read chapter 14 in detail, we don't have time to do that today, but if you read chapter 14 in detail, we'll see that Paul is saying, yeah, tongue speaking is fine, I do tongue speaking, but, uh, but that's not one that is as effective at building up the church as some of the others. It doesn't express love and service always in the way that it's practiced. He says, you need to be focused on the fact that God has given these gifts for you to use to build up the church. It's as simple as that. Well, how do I apply that to myself today? I'm one of those who believes that the gift of tongue speaking has ceased and, and, and dramatic miracles of healing have ceased. I think regular healing still goes on, and we pray for that all the time. I think regular assistance, as this talks about, goes on all the time. Some of you are more gifted at that than others. Some of you are way more gifted at that than I am. The gift of teaching goes on all the time. If you go over to Romans chapter 12, the parallel passage to 1 Corinthians 12, you can see a whole list of, of other gifts. Some of them we would call miraculous. Some of them we wouldn't call miraculous. A lot of those gifts go on in this congregation right now. God has made you special in a particular way. And there are two different ways I can approach that. I can say, I'm special. God has given me talents. He has given me gifts. He has given me abilities that other people in the church don't have. Look at me. And that apparently was what had gone wrong in Corinth. And that goes wrong any time I begin to think in that way. The gifts are given to us so that we will bless or allow God to bless through us the church. That's what the gifts are. The gifts of the Spirit, whether they're miraculous or non-miraculous, are all appointed by God. Paul ends chapter 12 by saying this, Strive for the greater gifts, and 
I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or even of angels, but I do not have love, charity, the ability to give what's mine for the good of others, agape, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The gifts of the Spirit are meant to be a manifestation of the love of God. They are meant to be used to love others, not to seek glory for ourselves. I've, I recognize that God has given me a gift to teach. And I'm kind of like Paul, woe unto me if I don't teach. In fact, I actually feel that woe whenever I listen to someone else teach. I, I hate to admit this, except Jeremy sometimes. But most of the time, when I am sitting and listening to someone else teach, there is at least a part of my brain that says, I wish up, I was up there. I could have said it better. I, you know, that's me. I, and, and, and I am itchy unless I have a chance to teach God's word. So it's, did I choose that? No. And honestly, I, you know, the amount that I've worked at, I've worked at it some, but the amount that I've worked at it compared to the amount that God just did that in me, I know on the day of judgment, I'm not going to get to take very much credit for the fact that I can do that. You know what I mean? And I don't ever want in front of you to be the kind of minister who says, great is the Lord, but who means great is me. You know what I mean? I really abhor that kind of ministry. Sadly, I see it a lot. People talk about, oh, my anointing, my anointing. As if they're giving praise to Jesus. But all the time they're pointing to themselves. And the same is true for every one of you. You know the things that you can do that other people can't do. You know the things that you have insight into that that other people just don't get it the same way that you do. You're already, no matter how young you are in the faith, and no matter how young you are in age, talking to you teenagers, and younger than teenagers, you already are starting to know the things that God is building in you. And, and it can go one of two ways. It can become an ego massage for you. And a way to pursue glory and status for yourself. Or it can become this amazing connection between you and God. Where God uses you to bless the church and to bless the world. 
And what Paul see, I mean, Paul has kind of given himself over to being that as open and clear a pipeline as he can make himself. To make himself as, 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 as clear a flow through of God's grace as he can manage. So that wherever he goes, the gifts that God has built in him can go out and bless the church and bless the world. And he knows the joy that comes from that. And he sees these Corinthians bickering and fighting and saying, no, it's my turn to prophesy. You sit down. No, you sit down. It's my turn to speak into. You sit. And he sees that going on in that church. And he says, you don't even understand what real ministry is like. You don't understand the deep joy that comes from recognizing that God has started moving through you to bless the people around you. That's what gifts are like. And if you're a baptized Christian, God is giving you things so that you can be a blessing to the church and to the world. And they are meant to be used as an expression of love rather than a way to seek glory for yourself. Flip over to chapter 14. I'll just... I'll point out what I think is the theme verse of all of chapter 14, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. So with you yourselves, since you are eager for spiritual gifts, strive to excel in those that build up the church. Strive to excel in those that build up the church or strive to excel in them for building up the church. Same meaning. What is it I want? Do I want everybody to look at me? Do I want everybody to, to, to say, oh, what a wonderful job you did? Or do I just want God's church to prosper? Paul says... We love each other with our gifts by using them to build up the church. Is what I'm doing going to make the church better? And the reason I'm stressing this so much, well, besides the fact this is definitely the main set of points that Paul makes in these three chapters, but it's also because I've seen the absence of this attitude tear churches apart and damage churches. And if you think about it, you probably have too if you've lived long enough. Because if you've got the ability to be excellent at anything in God's kingdom, you know, dealing with benevolence needs, talking to people who are sick and giving them encouragement, Teaching young children or teenagers, bless you who have a gift for teaching teenagers. Bless you, bless you, bless you. I used to think I had that gift, and then my first job as a youth minister taught me probably not. But, you know, if whatever gift you have... Um, it can become a, a self-glorifying and selfish endeavor. The rest of the church just doesn't appreciate what I do. 
They don't get it. They don't really recognize that this is where the real work is getting done. And like all things that are damaging, there's a, there's a hint of truth in that. A real gift from God is really from God, and it really is doing God's work. And if you're the one that's doing the gift, then you're aware of God acting through you. I am really touching these children's lives. I am really helping these teenagers. I am really meeting basic needs of people in our community. Why doesn't everybody else get on board with what I'm doing? The trouble with a gift is you're aware of what you're doing. You're like a foot in the body. You know all the work you have to do to make things function. But it's not really your job and you don't have much insight into what it's like to be an ear or an eye or a hand. And I have seen churches torn apart by people saying, uh, we need more resources, we need more attention paid to this ministry or that ministry, and people becoming very divisive and very destructive. Now, I was not told to preach this sermon. This is not a problem that's going on at Wilshire. I just don't want it to ever be one that goes on at Wilshire. You know what I mean? It is a glorious thing that you have ministry that you're passionate about. That means God is somehow touching you. And, and, and the way that that's going to be glorious in your life and joyful in your life is if you have the confidence that just as God is touching you to do the things that you are gifted to do, God is touching others to do the same in other ways. And just because you're not aware of it and you don't understand it even or, or don't even know what's going on, You've got to have the faith that that is what is happening. That's what Paul's arguing. He says, the foot doesn't know what the eye's doing, and the foot can't say, because you're not a foot eyeball, you can't be part of the body. That just doesn't work like that. We all value the differences that God has given to us. That's part of Paul's great theology. You know, our world... When we organize things, we get itchy when people are really different. You know, if I'm, if I'm trying to run things and keep a lid on a com, uh, uh, a, uh, an organization, I get itchy if there's too much diversity. I want things to be predictable, and that often means I want things to be regular and regulated. And I want people to be widgets. I can put one in one place and... I can replace that person with another, and they're all kind of interchangeable. And that's a very natural way for humans to run organizations. We don't like, we're kind of uncomfortable with the wild freedom that God has in mind. But what Paul is saying is, God is the one who's appointing different people to be good at different things. And it all is designed to make the church stronger than any one person could possibly make it. And it is a glorious thing to have diversity of interests and talents and abilities. And and you can't hold it together by uniformity. But Paul says you can hold it together through love. Through the love that the body has for each other. 
That's why he writes what he writes in chapter 13. Look at verse 4. In the body of God. Think of this as a church passage. It works in marriage too, and apply it to your own marriages or your other relationships. But think about this as a church passage about how we relate to each other in church. Love is patient and kind. Ever known a church that needed to hear that? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist. Don't say it, Paul. Please don't say this one. It does not insist on its own way. I know. <laughs> that hurts. It's not irritable. Even in the car driving home. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Did you see what she was saying? I can't believe she said that. Sorry, I shouldn't whisper away from the microphone, I realize. It rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Believes all things hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I don't know how you imagine the day of judgment. And I suspect, however any of us tries to imagine the day of judgment, we're going to be shocked when we actually get there because it's going to be stranger than we imagined and different than we imagined, of course. But one thing that the Bible says often enough uh, <laughs> that this part shouldn't surprise us what is going to be the measuring rod of greatness on the day of judgment. There are great ones and there are little ones in the church. There are mighty ones and there are less mighty ones in the church. There are people with big rewards and little rewards even, Jesus talks about. What's going to be the measuring rod? Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28, the greatest among you is the one who is the servant of all. Just like I came, not to be served, but to serve. 
the measuring rod of greatness in the church on the day of judgment is going to be how much you took what God gave you, your brains, your heart, your money, your time, your talents, your abilities, how much you were able to take that and find ways to serve. Serve your local congregation, serve the church at large, serve the world. How much do you have a track record of making a difference for good in the world? That's going to be the measuring rod. And it's devastating when in this life before the day of judgment, we think other measuring rods are more important than that. Who got praised? Who got their name mentioned? Who, who, you know, who has higher status than whom? We get it so backwards when Jesus and Paul and other people in the New Testament have been so clear. Measuring tape by which your life will be judged is love. Let's pray. Dear God, please help us to be loving people. God, and, and we don't mean valentines and puppies, though those are nice. God, what we need from you, what we ask for help to become, is people who are constantly on the lookout for ways that we can take the strong things that you have built in us and use them to build up the weaknesses that are in others, to shore up the broken places that are in others. God, help us to be the kind of people who are aware and see when people need when others around us need help. Help us to be the kind of people who are eager to, to do those works, whether we get praised or not, whether anybody even notices or not, because we know that you notice and you see and you will reward. And God, help us to live those lives, which we believe will be lives full of joy in this life and filled to overflowing with joy in the life to come. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ to be part of his kingdom built on self-sacrificing love, if you need today to say, I take Jesus as my Lord, and I want to put him on in baptism to begin this new walk in him, then today that can happen. You can come forward in just a minute and ask for that, and we will baptize you today, and you'll walk out of here a new person. Or it may be that you have prayer requests, things that you need to make public, things that you uh, feel that you, you could benefit from the public prayers of the church, and, and that also is something you might want to come forward uh, in just a minute and ask for. If you have a need like that, why don't you come as we stand and are led in song.